and welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dyser. If you please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings. Let us know how we're doing. But this week, I am talking to Jeff Hahn, and he is the owner of Hahn Public. He also is focused on brand crafting and mesh development, crisis comm for clients. He is on many different boards from Austin Chamber of Commerce and just a great person to have around because he's got a lot of stuff that we need to talk about, especially brand crafting. If you are trying to figure out how to do that, especially in 2021, 2022 and beyond, then it's a great thing. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Brad. Great to be with you. Really happy to be here. And the first question I ask all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? I'm a neither. I never learned to like either of those. And so if I need a little boost in the morning, I'll, I'll do like Warren Buffett and I'll drink a Coke. Ah, I dabble. I do coffee. There's now sparkling water with caffeine. So if you just want your caffeine hit without the coffee, you can do that now. I do like the sparkling waters, I have to say. But can you give a little bit more introduction to yourself and your expertise than what I gave? I gave a brief overview, but you know yourself better than I do. Sure. Very much like so many of your audience, I'm an agency owner. I've been an agency owner for 15 years. And prior to that, I actually grew up in corporate public relations. I was a 15-year person at Motorola in the semiconductor business. And a little bit in between, you know, Motorola and corporate as well. But I've always been in corporate communications and public affairs the last 30, 31 years. And in the last 15 of agency ownership, of course, the emphasis and the need to really develop an expertise around brand and the PR component of brand has been really important. And so I think about that as one unique area of focus for me. But the other that's been persistent throughout my 30 plus years is crisis communication. And I just recently published a book called Breaking Bad News. Uh, Breaking Bad News is um, my view of how crisis communication works. And so it's those two disciplines within the PR craft that I've come to focus on. Uh, I see what you did there with Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad News. I see it. I see what you did. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but going on to crafting messaging or just message development in general, has it been harder or easier for PR pros to actually craft messages in 2020 and 2021? I feel like if you craft a message, you're going to make somebody very upset and they're going to try to like hurt you in whatever reason because you accidentally hurt them with not really any malice behind it the craft is changing. It's a little bit more difficult. And the challenge, especially in promotional messaging, and there are two types for me, there's promotion messaging and there's protection messaging. So I'll focus on the promotion messaging side and how I see that as feeling a little bit different. In promotion messaging these days, it seems like you have to be more aspirational than in the past. And to me, the elasticity that's necessary now is to move yourself into the future over a thought horizon that others can't claim as owning. It's space that is undiscovered country to a great extent. And when you do promotional messaging, it's that 
sense of the future and the aspiration that allows all of us, no matter the, your particular point of view or lived experience, to share in. So when it comes to the durability of promotional ideas, you've got to stretch over top of time and space and try to find a shared place that people can still relate to. It's not too far away, but it's not too close to where it gets tangled up and thrown under the bus in the day-to-day issues that we all hear about in the news. I mean, with that, do you think there is a template for people to understand? Because it feels like taboos and do not write something changes weekly or hourly, even minute minute by minute. Is there a way of figuring that out? Or you just have to stay on top of the news all the time or Twitter, for example, you stay on top of Twitter to see what's okay to say and what's not okay to say. Cause I feel like it changes like every second. Yeah, exactly. And it does your instincts on that are just right. The, question as to whether or not a brand should engage in the day-to-day is real. And it, especially for those in the consumer space, you kind of make a deliberate decision as to whether or not you're going to get into that day-to-day soup. Because once you're in, you're all in. And there are brands who do it extremely well. I would say, for example, REI, Patagonia, Nike to a certain extent. They have made a decision to be in on issues of social import. Uh, Starbucks will move itself more prominently in that space, but you've got to make that deliberate decision. If you're going to be a brand who is speaking to what is now referred to as the belief-driven buyer set, then you can't go away once you get in there. It's a really important strategic fork in the road for many brands. You know, when in a day like we find ourselves where our trust in government is at an all-time low, our trust in politicians and political leadership all-time low, our trust in a lot of institutions that we used to take for granted at an all-time low, corporate brands do fill that void. You can, in fact, make that choice to enter into the day-to-day fray and stand for something that is social, stand for something that is values-driven, and make that a part of your messaging voice. But do that with some care, because once you start, people will create an expectation that you're going to continue. And by the way, they're going to insist that you continue. And on social media, they'll call you out for not continuing. So it's a really important and strategic choice to make. I mean, that also leads to, does that mean brands have to politically choose a side now? Because one group may not agree, the other group may not agree. So you have to figure out which one is the biggest majority and go on with that one. Is that what I'm kind of hearing? Because it feels like like one certain group of people could be this way, but the other group of certain people like, well, I don't like what they're saying. So now I don't like you. Yeah. And I'm not sure it's a choice between tribes or the polarity of current politics. I think it's got to fall into a place where your shared values internally, your shared values are speaking and they, they have just a magnetic and obvious natural attraction to an audience. Let's take, for example, a situation that occurred in Atlanta with uh, Georgia voting rights laws passing not so long ago. 
Coca-Cola, if I remember right, FedEx got balled up in all that. And there were those brands who made a choice to say, uh, we don't, oh, Major League Baseball was the other big one, right? They moved the moved a game. So they made a choice to stand up in front of this uh, political issue. That wasn't necessarily taking sides as much as it was them trying to speak to a core value. Where I think those brands could have done a better job is to aim their position about the issue at their employee audience rather than try to become a political voice externally aim your voice internally to say hey employees team members compatriots this issue of voting rights has become a real deal here in the state of georgia here's how we feel as a corporation about it and it's really about our respect for you as employees now, of course, that's going to become an external talking point for someone. But in the context of being able to say, um, this is for our employees, about our employees, in support of our employees, now it's harder to argue with. It's harder for external critics to say, you shouldn't be involved in a political issue. Aim those comments at your employees and you you have the backstop of saying, we're commenting on a political issue for our employees in support of our employees. We're not a player in the external rigmarole. So that'd be my, if I were to think about just a recent example of how you, you can in fact make a statement, but you can give yourself a little bit of insulation, that would be my suggestion. Gotcha. And even trying to craft your message, do PR pros have to consider the different mediums? I mean, you have the text and Twitter, but you also have maybe pictures, video, live streaming now, drop in, drop out audio since Clubhouse has become really popular. A thing, yeah. And basically Facebook, Twitter, and everybody else is copying them. Yeah, absolutely right. And you can use all those mediums to speak to, in this particular example, we're just going to use our Twitter channel to speak to our employees and make that very obvious. That creates a little bit of... uh, insulation for you does crafting the message also entail just using audio for like say podcasting you're doing like only internal podcasting thing would that help with crafting and be expounding on different types of messaging because sometimes in twitter people will mistake anything you say because it's so quick and short and you don't have time to actually expound on it yeah in fact i always think about the complexity of the question that you just asked in three parts. There's the message, there's the messenger, and then there's the method of delivery. So in what the way that you posed your question is really smart because what you're helping us understand is that the method will shape the message. In Twitter, you only have so many characters, right? Is it 140? The message there has to be synthesized almost in a way that you're not advocating for something. Instead, you're directing people to go find out more, especially on a complex issue. Use the shorter methods to drive traffic to a place where you can learn and understand a full 
and complete picture of what it is that you intend to convey. Gotcha. And then moving on to brand crafting, what are common misconceptions about it? Because it seems like brand crafting, it seems easy. Just craft your brand the way you want to, but it's never that easy. Well, it all comes down to the idea of positioning and positioning is exceptionally hard. There's a terrific formula for it, meaning that what you can do is uh, articulate what you do best in the world and for whom you do it. If you can get to that, uh, fill in the blanks on those two questions, then you've got yourself a successful positioning. You are experts in a particular issue. And it's a really important thing to do. I think positioning is way undervalued. But if you think about, for example, Warren Buffett's perspective on this, he would say diversification is a protection against ignorance. It makes very little sense for those who know what they're doing. It's cryptic language, but what he's saying is those who become generalists generalist brands, they do a little bit of everything for everybody, they don't know themselves. And therefore, they can't create value to those that they are providing a service. So the formula for positioning is really quite simple. Filling in those blanks, we are the expert of, fill in that blank, for, fill in that blank. Those are hard questions for companies who have to evolve in this time and place to grab onto and and fill in those blanks because they mean having to sacrifice what got them to this point in order to create future value. Gotcha. And let's say someone's starting out to create a startup or whatever. Is it harder or easier to do it nowadays in brand crafting than it was previously? Or is it more complex than what I'm actually proposing. I think it's as complex as it's always been. And because you have to make the difficult decision, this is what's going to define a particular brand. We are going to home in on one idea and just drive it till the hilt. That's not simply about a positioning statement. That's the commitment of an entire organization to a single idea. And It requires just a tremendous amount of articulation, of authenticity, of a view of the future where that single point of view actually thrives. So there's just a super amount of thought that has to go into it in order for all parties, all stakeholders to line up and support the idea and commit their time, energy, and investment to that idea. So it's still a complicated thought, still a complicated thing to do. Mm-hmm. And how does someone start up by creating like brand crafting? Is there a template for it to do it? Is there a core value set or is there something a little bit deeper than that? Because we could talk about brand crafting, but how do you start to do it? Because people are probably like, I don't know how to do it. I mean, you write a cool sentence or whatever. There's some really good tools uh, that I've used it and, collected them over time. It really helped me. Uh, And I'll just name off a few of them and then provide some other possible ideas. One of the tools that has been strangely useful to me is the DISC personality profile. And now your listeners might be asking, why would an individual personality profile test be useful to a brand? It's because 
you can take the same attributes of that disk personality profiler and apply them to your corporate, your company brand. Are you high in the D attribute, high in the I, high in the S, high in the C? Each of those has a really unique personality pull. You find yourself using the disk as a way just to describe what's the personality of it. That's really important, and I think it's at core to your identity. Another tool that I use quite often with clients is called the Johari window, spelled J-O-H-A-R-I. And Johari is a social psychology test that allows you to name a, just a, a bunch of words you believe help describe the brand at its essence, and then segregate those words into four windows. Those The windows are uh, labeled and they each have a distinct meaning. Um, when you're able to segregate those words into the correct windows, you can really understand what it is that, how much work you need to do. There are arena attributes. They're important to you. They're important to your audience. There are facade attributes. They're known to you, but not to your audience. Well, okay, that's good. If they're known to us, but not our audience, we can put a little bit more promotion behind them. There are potential attributes, less important today, uh, and not really known to all of your stakeholders. And then there are artifacts. Artifact attributes might be around things like... Um, myths or stereotypes that affect your brand, or maybe even past incidents or events that you want to get behind. So I use the Jahari quite a lot to just try to pull the words into the right windows. Probably the most useful brand crafting tool I've ever encountered, and now I've just become a lifelong student of, is the Pearson Mar Archetypes Inventory. And Archetypes is many will know as a function or an invention of Carl Jung, the psychologist, but archetypes are wonderful tools that allow us to understand motivations. They allow us to understand the patterns of ideas behind our thinking. And really they're fantastic because they're storytelling tools. They allow us to share in the development of characters, of symbols. And I love using the Pearson Mar. Again, interestingly enough, it is a, it's an individual psychological assessment, but you can apply a lot of Pearson's thinking to brands. And she's got a wonderful stack of work over the years that applies to that. You'll find, if you just Google the Pearson archetypes, quadrants, you'll find the essence of what she teaches uh, in the search results. Just fantastic. And again, almost subconscious level at which archetypes work, bringing them into the conscious realm is just a wonderful experience once you're able to use those tools of the Pearson-Mar inventory and then Dr. Pearson's other thinking. Again, she's got, uh, I don't know, half a dozen books all on my shelf, all uh, dog-eared and underlined in a lot mm -hmm. of places. So those are just a few of the tools I use. 
when I think about the complexity of brand crafting as it pertains to adapting an old brand to current circumstances and future opportunities and creating new ones. Gotcha. So what I'm hearing is basically you're building your own character or your character building your own brand in a certain type of way. Cause you talked about archetypes. I mean, Joseph Campbell comes to mind because everybody loves Joseph Campbell and building out your own basically legacy or building out your own story or characters or whatever. So it seems like PR pros are becoming basically authors in branding in a way. I think you're absolutely right, Brett. The idea of using something, for example, like the monomyth cycle, Professor Campbell's ultimate work, they're fantastic storytelling devices. It is dependent on the hero journey concept. And you'll find those kinds of metaphors at play in all kinds of brands. But great PR people are really good storytellers. They understand these subconscious layer tools and they use them almost like forms in which to pour words and ideas so that they can complete a storytelling concept. Yeah. The most overused phrase in the last decade and a half as it pertains to agencies who say we're great storytellers. It's just sort of complete crap. At the same time, if they were to really understand the underpinnings of story, then I would believe them. If they're students of Carol Pearson and Carl Jung, if they're students of uh, Professor Campbell, Joseph Campbell, if they're study thinkers like Gerald Zaltman, who was a real pioneer in the idea, in the area of metaphor, then then I could believe that they're real storytellers. We have an obligation, I think, to create underpinnings to the words that we put together and say, this is our story. And then you can explain why it's our story. That's what I find to be missing quite a lot in the conversations when it comes to brand crafting. Yeah, I basically tried to not say storytellers because I feel like it's overblown. Plus, <laughs> if you say it, I feel like you aren't actually it because you got to show it, not just say it. Because if you just say it without showing it, then what's the point of saying it? Yeah, no question about it. You and I are on absolutely the same wavelength. <laughs> it's one of those things. And I mean, it almost leads me to the next thing about like, what's the future of developing a message? What's the future of brand crafting? I mean, I feel like just this conversation alone, just really getting the mindset of being authors. I mean, you could say storytellers, but I think authors is a better yeah. term yeah. instead because storytellers is to me, it seems like it's just a finite, ending position authors tell a bunch of different stories in general well when you think about that question what's the future of the authorship the words that we use the ideas that we package together it's as old as language itself i'm not going to pretend that there's going to be some radical and new and different way for us to tell story that diagram is well understood in screenplays. You know, Sid Fields has an entire career teaching people how to write a good screenplay. And that method is how we like to hear stories told. If you go and see a movie that doesn't follow that three-act or some would say a five-act 
play process, you'll come away thinking that was a terrible movie because it didn't follow the form that we all love. And it is, I mean, it's almost like in our DNA. That's how we like to hear story told. So I'm not going to be the one who says that there's going to be something completely different. Maybe message messenger method of delivery. Those will all adapt to the future. But I would say that for authors who are crafting brand, one great big responsibility isn't simply to articulate the present. It is to speak the future into being. And if you are capable of thinking even ahead of the brand today so that it has a, a trajectory to follow into the future, that's when I believe you are at your best and creating success for your clients. Uh, speaking the future into the being is the underappreciated power of leadership. And we as uh, PR professionals have a unique opportunity to influence that the words that get spoken. And so that's what excites me about the profession when it comes to the promotion side and the brand crafting side of what we do. Gotcha. And fun question for you. If you create your own crafting brand or brand crafting for yourself, what would it be? Well, because I've defined my my core expertise around crisis communication, I would probably craft an identity around the notion of the, I'd probably create a character that looks a lot like a, a fireman. Putting out fires everywhere. Working every day, keeping your things in order, being at the ready. And then when it happens, here we come. So I like that idea. It, it's a fun question because it forces me to use my own tools. Like, okay, I'm going to create a fireman archetype here. What's that look like? What's that feel like? That really works for me. And it plays to my interest in crisis communication. All right. Any final thoughts for listeners? It's always wonderful to be able to think about the craft in this more abstract way. One of the best exercises that I have found to continue to strengthen the muscles in this way is when I read the news every day, I ask myself, what would I do if I was the PR person for that company being talked about? What would my advice be to them today, given the news that is being reported, good or bad? Put yourself in that room with that senior team and imagine giving them advice, given what they see in the headlines. That kind of exercise has really moved me into a much better uh, brand crafter because I've been able to synthesize my ideas. And I think the strength that I'm appreciating more and more uh, is a God-given gift for me as I have the ability to take 10,000 words and turn them into 10. Uh, that ability to synthesize is a practice skill. Everyone can do it, but it takes a daily kind of devotional and some daily mental work by using the headlines of the day to help build that muscle. All right. Thank you, Jeff, for joining PO360 and sharing your knowledge on messaging and brand crafting. I've enjoyed being here. Thanks very much. And thank you for joining PR360. We really appreciate it. Please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the ratings. And let us know how we're doing. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys. Stay safe. 
Get to your authorship on your own messaging and brand crafting and see you next week. Later.